Just after uh, 12 o'clock, you want to get a hold of Savannah anytime other than the number you called over the next hour, you can 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And here we are, long weekend. And uh, like weather, amazing. It is. Boating, amazing. Boating, amazing, But yes. injuries also out there as well, the roads and otherwise, right? They so are, they are indeed. We'll get into uh, long-term disability questions uh, today. You can give us a call if you have any questions about uh, that topic or any other under the banner of... Uh, Personal injury, but first we always start with a couple of uh, week that was stories. Uh, yeah, we will start with those in a second, John. Mm-hmm. I just want to give a, a shout out to <laughs> my uh, brother Anton and his uh, beautiful wife Marjolin. I was at their wedding last night. I uh, came home uh, quite late, but it was a spectacular Yeah, you sound wedding. like you've been out a little long. Uh, just a little bit. That's right. <laughs> and, and But I do have to say, uh, you know, being uh, responsible, I had a designated driver, oh, my, yeah. uh, my beautiful wife, who uh, took control of the car and yeah. got me home safely. And that's the reason we're here today, John, to your chagrin. <laughs> I'm sure she's happy about it, too. She's very happy. She's home with the kids. That's right, yes. (laughs) That's right. All right, what's up? Okay, so let's start with the week that was. So it was a busy week. Um, We had had a few people uh, that contacted us about long-term disability. And as you know, John, that's something that we've been talking about for the last few months, uh, almost for the last year, because it's quite prevalent out there. You know, it's a beautiful day outside today. It's a beautiful weekend. You know, a lot of people are out there enjoying it. uh, But... For me, at least, uh, doing personal injury and disability type claims on a day-to-day basis, uh, I, I can't help but think that, you know, there are people out there who are in their homes. They're not enjoying the day. No. They're not enjoying the weekend. Uh, they're secluded. They're in pain. Uh, they, are, they are in s- tremendous stress, financial stress, uh, physical stress, psychological stress. Why? Because they're dealing uh, with insurance companies that are trying to squeeze them for absolutely everything. So let me tell you about an interesting case uh, that I just recently settled. It involves a 47-year-old gentleman who was on long-term disability for the past three years. He was cut off after the insurance company produced surveillance that showed him shoveling snow uh, for about 10 minutes last winter. Mm -hmm. Now, the reality was that he had to do it because of an extreme circumstance. Of course, the insurance company didn't care about that. But let me tell you about that circumstance. Uh, he had just learned that evening when he was shoveling snow, uh, before he shoveled the snow, that his mother was admitted uh, to hospital after a serious accident. And, of course, he needed to get there yeah. ASAP, right? He was just panicked. He couldn't wait for a cab. There was no Uber. There was nothing. He had to get there. So he went outside, and he just, you know, threw his back effectively. He started shoveling. Uh, and he eventually got to the hospital, and and, and guess what? Uh, this is something the surveillance did not show. Uh, he himself was admitted because of shortness of breath and a mild heart attack. Wow! So imagine that. So so we're of course I'm doing the claim for him, uh, and uh, I'm telling him, don't worry about it. We'll deal with it. And of course he's in a panic situation. He's been for three years relying on these payments month in, uh, month out. For his family, and of course, he gets cut off because of that ten-minute surveillance, and for which he had a completely valid explanation. He could not work; he's unable to work. Uh, insurance company, of course, did not care. They had that ten-minute footage. Well, as as of as of last week, his benefits have been reinstated. Cool. He received uh, retroactive pay. It's not an issue. And again, it's something that really comes up quite often. Not necessarily the surveillance aspect. But this idea that insurance companies will seize on absolutely everything to cut you off, to not pay you. And again, what have I been saying for a long time now? And it's just a reality. Insurance companies are in the business of making money. And how do they make money? They will charge you whatever they charge you. And when it comes time to pay, they will either deny the claim or they will drag their feet. Again, 
I don't want to say that it's in every circumstance, but in my experience, and I can tell you that even as a defense lawyer representing insurance companies in the past, I got instructions, marching orders, uh, quite a few times to fight claims which the adjuster, the insurance company that I was dealing with, knew were valid. And, and, you know, oftentimes if you have a very strong lawyer on the other side who knows how to build up the case, represent the clients properly, Mm -hmm. uh, then not only will those lawyers get the proper compensation for their clients, but oftentimes they'll be able to even get bad faith damages, oh, wow. okay. punitive damages against the insurance company. So for people out there who are in that situation, if you're fighting a disability insurer, uh, if you're in a car accident and you're fighting your own insurer for compensation, for uh, anything to do with insurance uh, claims, yeah. don't give up. Oftentimes when people come to me and they contact me in desperation, and they're not giving up, they've decided to contact me, it's because they have a legitimate point. Yeah, most people out there are not stupid. They're just not dumb. They understand that they have insurance for a reason, to get peace of mind. And when insurance companies decide to do the exact opposite, in other words, to take that peace of mind away and just stomp on you, they seek out help. And oftentimes we're able to resolve it, and we resolve it fairly quickly and uh, with very little pain. Mm -hmm. What else you got? Okay, so there's another case that uh, we've been dealing with, and, and... This is an interesting car accident case that we resolved. Um, This was a 42-year-old lady that was hit by a drunk driver about two and a half years ago. She suffered a fairly significant injury to her left shoulder. It was a rotator cuff tear, okay, Uh, a full tear, which is extremely, extremely debilitating, uh, specifically for someone who is working with their hands, you know, even doing office work. And uh, so she had a permanent uh, disability and permanent restrictions that resulted. Now, she... Kudos to her, went back to work uh, part-time, and she's a dental hygienist. So you just imagine how much she's using her hands oh, yeah. and her arms. Uh, but she used to be full-time, and she used to have overtime hours. John, two and a half years later, settled a claim just this past week. I can't give you the exact specifics, but over $300,000. Wow. And the reason was because of a significant loss of income that she's going to, uh, to in have the in the future. Mm-hmm. So again, remember how, and we're going to talk about it soon, the personal injury calculator, yep. the injurycalculator.ca website that we, uh, we created. Uh, in this particular case, the value for her pain and suffering was minuscule compared to the loss of income component of her claim. Which we'll cover. In the meantime, you want to give us a call, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Savannah's number directly anytime, 416-216-5910, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to some emails as well on the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale, or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to some uh, Emails here in just a bit. I want to talk about injurycalculator.ca now. That's right. Let's spend a couple of minutes talking about. So that's that website tool that I just mentioned before the break. Uh, And it's a website that we created a few months back that's been extremely popular because there's nothing like it in Canada, as far as I know. Uh, And what it is, it's it's an online tool that's free, that's anonymous, that allows anyone to just go on it uh, and click in uh, the accident date. Uh, So you choose the date that it happened. Uh, where you were injured, uh, Toronto, Ajax, wherever, uh, how old you are, what caused uh, your accident, was it a car accident, a trip and fall, who was at fault for the accident, was it you, was it the other side, and then you input the type of injury. Is is it a uh, shoulder uh, tear? A, a shoulder tear, exactly. Is it back pains, what happened? And you just answer a, a, a few of these questions. It takes you about 15, 20 seconds. We can go through it and, and, and you know, uh, mm-hmm. let our listeners uh, uh, see what the results are. And what it does is it provides you at the end with a range of, uh, of a dollar value of what your pain and suffering could be worth 
uh, in legal terms. Yeah. So, for example, if you go through uh, uh, an example, let's just go through one. Let's put the location of the accident as uh, Toronto, and let's put um, 34 years old, because that's how old you are, John, right? Hardly. Car accident, it was somebody else's fault, and now uh, it's asking us to select the category that best describes our main injury. Some of the head. The head, okay. Yeah. So I'm clicking on that. Now it's asking me, are we dealing with the teeth, the skull, the jaw, the nose, the mouth? Skull. The skull. Really? Uh-huh. It does that too? It teeth, jaw, that. mouth? Wow. It, it just it asks you to identify exactly uh, right. the injury. Cool. And so now with the skull, did you suffer a contusion or bruising, or was it a fracture? Let's go full. Let's go fracture. Fracture. Go okay. large. Oh, you're gory. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now it's asking, did you also suffer a brain injury or a concussion? At birth. Um, yeah, concussion's yes. good. All right. All right. One more question. Did you require surgery? No. No. Okay. We're clicking on that, and then we're going through, and here is what it says. It says that you can get up to $312,000 for your injury. Now, keep in mind- Keep in mind, you're going to have a significant range here that it's going to give you, okay. and the reason is because- even when you're dealing with a brain injury, uh, sometimes you're dealing with a very mild brain injury, mm-hmm. so the effects on you are, are not that significant. Okay. You can go back to work, you can do you know activities of daily living, etc. And sometimes uh, uh, it affects you to the point where you are completely debilitated. You're effectively right. uh, in a vegetative state. Or yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So again, the 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 importance of this calculator is that it gives you a, it's a tool. It gives you an idea of what you can expect for your pain and suffering. But as we talked about before. It's just one part of your claim. You can have a claim for housekeeping expenses if you need to have somebody help you cutting the grass. The future snow. income loss, all that stuff. Which would be a lot more, loss, all those things, right? A lot more. Yeah. In fact, you, you can have a claim where you know, you're told that your pain and suffering is worth $50,000, but your future income losses are in the millions. Wow. Okay, there are scenarios like that. Yeah. Uh, it, generally speaking, when I deal with claims, let's say, that are worth in the three to $500,000 range, Typically, the pain and suffering component is worth, let's say, fifty to hundred thousand dollars. The rest of that money, the rest uh, of the several, uh, you know, other hundreds of thousands of dollars, are, are attributed to income loss or wow. to medical expenses you may need to treat your injuries down the road. Exactly. Yeah. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell. Got Cal in Toronto. Hello, Cal. Hello. Hi. How are you guys? Good. Good. How are you? Good. I just have a quick question. Basically, I got into a car accident sometime about last year, uh, June 26th of last year. Mm-hmm. And I just received a, a voice message from my lawyer saying that uh, your file is good for uh, mediation. That's right. And uh, I just wanted to know whether this is a advantage for me or a disadvantage for me because I don't even know. Is the lawyer that has to... Uh, trigger this or it's the insurance company that normally trigger the mediation? That's an excellent question. So first of all, sorry, we're dealing with a car accident, right? That's what you said? That's correct. Okay. And do you know if it's a mediation with respect to your own insurance with accident benefits or with respect to the... It's the accident benefits. Okay. So so with respect to the accident benefits, does that mean that they would have cut you off of some benefits? Were they paying you benefits initially, like income replacement or... No, they never did because I'm a software developer, so... Mm -hmm. uh, I was constantly uh, doing my work. Okay. And uh, so uh, technically all they paid for it so far was my uh, medical expenses. All right. And did they cut you off those medical expenses at some point? No, they they haven't. I'm still going for uh, uh, therapy and stuff like that. Okay. Did your lawyer explain to you that he was filing for something or she was filing for something? Honestly, if I was... On vacation, I came back. Mm-hmm. I heard the voice message saying that uh, your file is good for uh, 
to settle and uh, to go into, uh, to go into mediation. Okay. So I didn't call her back yet because I just wanted to gather more sure. information before I get back to my lawyer. Yep. So let me give you some information, and I'm going to speak okay. more generally as well, Cal, just so that uh, I can you. give some background. It. Absolutely. So first of all, as we spoke about before, for listeners who haven't listened to the show before, when you're in a car accident in Ontario uh, and it's somebody else's fault, mm-hmm. you typically have two types of claims that you are going to be advancing. One is with your own insurance company for certain benefits, accident benefits, and those are income replacement. So if you can't work, you get the income um, benefit. Uh, if, you, if you need rehabilitation, chiropractic, massage, physio, uh, you get those as well. Okay, so that's one component okay. of, of the claim. The other one is uh, when you make a claim against whoever caused the accident. At that point, you're dealing with that person's insurance company. Now, Cal is, is calling us about an accident that happened about a year ago. Uh, he was not provided with income replacement benefits. My sense just from these few facts is that we are dealing with the mediation as he uh, supposes for the accident benefits claim. So what I'm assuming happened here is that uh, he was not provided a certain benefit, let's say the income replacement benefit. His lawyer probably applied to have that benefit uh, disputed. In other words, he's the lawyer is saying that he should have received that benefit. Right. And the next step in that process is that mediation, and that step is mandatory. The insurance company has to participate, and Cal, you and your lawyer will participate. Generally speaking, you will get to a resolution through that mediation process. When we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the mediation process in the other contacts with the insurance company of whoever, whoever was responsible for the accident. Excellent. Uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Savannah's number is 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, the insurance and injury law show on talk radio AM 640. Okay, so the end of the last time we were talking about Cal's case, yeah. heading to mediation. The mediation, like okay. exactly. So, so, so we, we covered the fact that uh, he's probably doing mediation on the accident benefits claim. And here's the important thing. Mediation is extremely effective. In fact, Lior talks about on the employment hour all the time. Uh, in Toronto, Windsor, and Ottawa, those three jurisdictions in Ontario, mediation is mandatory because the courts have recognized that when you take these cases to mediation, you're bypassing or at least you're preventing the case, these cases from going forward to unnecessary steps. So this is actually the reason why most cases never see court, which is why it makes me laugh, really, when I hear lawyers bragging about all the courtroom experience they have. It's important to have that. Don't get me wrong. You need that. But again, what's my analogy? If you're going to the doctor for the flu, you're not uh, necessarily thinking you're going to end up on the uh, you know surgery. Mm-hmm. So the same thing here. Mediation is extremely effective. And in Cal's case, Cal... Uh, get a hold of your lawyer, speak with her, understand exactly what issue is being mediated. I suspect it's the income replacement benefits that you never got. Uh, And ask her also about the claim against the other driver, whoever was responsible, if in fact there was someone responsible for for the accident, because you may have even a larger claim on that side of the aisle, and that case will be mediated as well, so long as it gets started here in Toronto. If it's been a year can uh, and it goes through mediation for accident benefits, are they retroactive for the year or no? Or it's starting from when it gets It's resolved? all subject to negotiation, yeah, oh, okay. absolutely. When okay. I go to negotiation, whether it's on long-term disability or, or um, uh, when you're dealing with income losses. Uh, in fact, I just had a mediation actually this past week where uh, it, it was a very serious car accident a few years ago on the highway. We're talking about just uh, not just a crazy accident where my lady's car was just thrust under a tractor trailer and it it was absolutely horrible. But when we were uh, discussing and and negotiating the income loss component, 
you know, the defense lawyer started up by saying, you know, we, we can we can easily calculate your past losses. You know, it, this is an easy mathematical exercise to figure mm-hmm. out how much money you've lost. The trick is how do you calculate what will be your future losses? Right. And that's, of course, where you have to have a fairly good lawyer and you have to have somebody who's creative and you have to have someone who does their homework, gets the necessary experts to build up the case to show that your uh, losses in the future are going to be what you say they're going to be. Right. right. I mean, if I show up to a mediation, I say, my client's future losses are going to be a million dollars, John. If you're working for the insurance company, you're going to say, yeah, prove it. Yeah. Exactly. I have to prove it for my client. Yep. And that's something, by the way, that many lawyers forget who, who deal in this, in this uh, field, uh, who, who practice in this field, that the plaintiff has the onus of proving losses. So if you have a lawyer that's not proactive, if you have a lawyer that simply sits back and just doesn't do anything and doesn't build up your case and doesn't get the experts that mm-hmm. he or she needs to get, your case is not going to be worth what it needs to be worth, what it really is worth, and the insurance, com- uh, insurance company is going to see it accordingly. So how much, how, how finite does the information have to be? Like it has to be this, this is, you know, this person's going to need someone to walk their cockapoo every day. Someone's going to need someone to cut the growling. How much information, how, how big a package do you need to put forth an insurance company to say, here's why it's a million bucks? Let me, I'm going to turn the tables, John. Let's say that uh, we're at trial, okay? Mm-hmm. I, somehow this case that I'm handling did not settle at mediation. We got to trial and you are the judge. You tell me, I mean, what do you need to know uh, to, to, to believe my client that they're going to have those future losses? You're probably going to want to hear from my client. You want to want to hear from uh, my client's doctors, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps from colleagues at work, perhaps from other lay witnesses, people in the community, perhaps experts that have retained. The more information I give you, the more I can solidify the, the argument. You know, no one has a crystal ball. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why, by the way, we have this tension between insurance companies and claimants because nobody really knows what's going to happen in the future. And of course, insurance companies are concerned that, well, we're going to give you this chuck and change right now, and then the next day you're going to get up and get a job. And you know what? That does happen. But the converse also happens, where insurance companies end up settling with you, and they'll give you X amount of dollars, assuming that it's going to, it's going to allow you to, 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 to you know, carry on, carry on for let's say, the next five years, because in five years you'll get retrained. You know, and six, seven, eight years later, you're still unable to go back to work. So it goes back and forth. But the point is that the lawyer, it's the lawyer's job. It's not even your job as the claimant. It's the lawyer's job to tell you what they need. And that's the reason why I tell my clients, I sit with them and we explain, me and my team, here's what we need. Here's the, you know, perhaps we need you to keep a diary of of what's bothering you every day. Uh, Perhaps you need to collect uh, statements from friends and family. And, you know, if you go to church from your pastor, if you have uh, a friend or or, not a friend, but um, uh, neighbors are helping you do certain things in the yard, get these statements, uh, get this evidence, as we call it. We can provide that to the insurance company. And that bolsters your credibility, gotcha. increases the value of the claim. You're talking about long-term disability when we came back. Let me ask you some questions about that because we get emails for this all the time. Um, for instance, so many people are confused by the term disability. What exactly? What is the definition of that? Well, the definition really is uh, the, your ability to perform the duties of your job. I and mean, can you do it? And if you're disabled, uh, you can't. And, and, and when we say we can't, we mean you reasonably can't. Okay? Nobody says that you have to be paralyzed from the neck down uh, to, to be unable to do your, your, your work. Now... Uh, insurance companies do throw these terms around, totally disabled, for example. Anyone who's listening who's on long-term disability uh, will know exactly what I mean. They see that phrase in quotes, totally disabled. Well, what does that mean? Again, yeah. it means you are uh, reasonably unable to work. 
But there are two tests generally that people have to meet when they are on long-term disability. And again, I say generally because some policies vary. Very, very important to look at the policies uh, to examine which test applies. Generally, if you are on long-term disability for the first two years, the test is, can you do your own occupation? Right, John? So you are here at the radio. If you are unable for whatever reason, the question is, can you do your own job? If you cannot reasonably do your own job, Mm -hmm. then that means that you are entitled to long-term disability, assuming, of course, that's available to you. Okay. Right? Uh, And the second test uh, is uh, that usually happens beyond the two-year mark. So you've been on disability for two years. At that point, the definition changes to can you do any occupation for which you are reasonably suited by education, training, or experience. Right. We'll talk about that in a second. You a bet. Bit more. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Uh, Savan's number is 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More the Insurance and Injury Law Show right up on Talk Radio AM 640. We were talking about before the break long-term disability and the qualifi- uh, qualifications to get on or stay on. You mentioned the two tests that you go through. That's right. So for the first uh, two years... In long-term disability uh, claims, uh, the test is, uh, are you totally disabled from doing your own occupation? Gotcha. Okay. And and that's for people out there who are wondering if they qualify. It's that simple, except that you're going to need a medical note, uh, either your family doctor or a specialist to say that you cannot go back uh, at the present time uh, to your own job. The second test, the broader test, and this is where insurance companies usually uh, use that to cut people off. Uh, is usually at the two-year mark. So you've been on disability now for two years. Uh, you're getting the payments, no issues. And as you're approaching the two-year mark, uh, and usually it happens a few months before, perhaps at the one-and-a-half-year mark, mm-hmm. you'll get that letter, you'll get that phone call from the adjuster that's handling your claim that tells you, you know, we're, we reviewed all the medical records uh, and documents. Uh, the definition changes at the two-year mark. It's no longer can you do your own job. It's can you do any job for which you are suited for by education, training, or experience. And that's important. I want to make sure that I outline that. If you're dealing, as an example, with a surgeon, and the surgeon is disabled um, for the first two years from performing surgery, the question then becomes, after a two-year mark, is not whether the surgeon can go down, uh, down the street and work at a Tim Hortons. The question is, is can that surgeon do any other job for which he or she is trained uh, or has experience in, or is suited for. So, for example, uh, okay, you're disabled from doing surgeries, but, but can you, you go be teach? A, yeah, you know, teach or right? GP or exactly. Or something, right? well, what, exactly, exactly. Right. So, and, and that's usually where we find a lot of people getting cut off. And I got to tell you, people get cut off, and a lot of them uh, don't consult a lawyer. They, they simply assume that the insurance company's decision is final. Oftentimes, they're invited to appeal the decision. And what do I say about these kinds of appeals? Useless waste of time. It's just a waste of time because you almost never get that appeal reversed. And the reason is because the same people who are looking at your appeal uh, were the same people or the friends of or the colleagues of uh, just the next uh, uh, office over from people who cut you off originally. And all you're doing is just wasting time, wasting, wasting months, perhaps a year until you realize that, no, you're getting nowhere, that you're going in circles and you have to actually go to a disability lawyer to make a claim against the insurance company, which in legal speak means putting a gun to their head. Not that I want to use that analogy with uh, every, all the shootings going on, but uh, th- that's usually what happens in these cases. So those two tests are very important for people to realize. Uh, can you do your own job during the first two years of disability? Can you do any job mm-hmm. for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience after the two-year mark? Does the disability, uh, quote-unquote disability, have to be vi- uh, visible? 
No, and that's an important uh, um, question. What does it mean visible? Well, you know, when you break your arm, you can see it on an x-ray, on an MRI, on a CT scan. But what happens when you are depressed? What happens when you have fibromyalgia, chronic pain? What happens when you have these kinds of things that no one can really see? Does it mean that you don't qualify? No, far from it. But what it does mean is that the insurance company is naturally going to be suspicious because the adjuster mm-hmm. can't see that disability. Visually, they can't see it. Uh, they, they perhaps will get a report from your family doctor or your psychiatrist or your social worker or whoever it is. And of course, they'll question it because they'll assume, rightly or wrongly, that perhaps you have an ulterior motive for providing that note for not wanting to work, you know, just collecting a disability check. Mm-hmm. So the answer to your question is that no, in fact, Many disability claims, if not the majority of the ones I deal with, are so-called invisible types of injuries or conditions. The fibromyalgias, the chronic pains, uh, the depression, the uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, these kinds of things that debilitate a person. They you absolutely can't see them on the surface. You cannot see them. Uh, they are diagnosable, but you can't see them. And it's not that difficult to make those claims with the insurance company. Again, it's how you build the case. Mm-hmm. It's how you present the case, eventually leading to a payout from the insurance company. So how do you, as a lawyer, maximize the visibility of an invisible disability? Well, that's interesting. So we spoke about that a little bit before, about how we're dealing with, with um, proving yeah. one's losses. Well, it's not that uh, different than proving one's uh, injury uh, or disability. Uh, One of the ways to do it, obviously, is the primary way is to get medical opinions from the family doctor, from the specialist, whoever it is has been treating uh, my client, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get, I'm going to want an opinion from them. I may send my client to independent experts, which will review the medical brief that I've assembled for my client. So again, so you have that medical aspect, but there is, there is another way of proving it. And it's the lay person way that, as, as I call it, look, if you go before a judge, John, uh, and you say, look, I, I, um, I hired this expert to give this opinion. The judge may be swayed by that expert, but the judge is also going to think to him or herself, well, you paid that expert. So perhaps they are you know, leaning a certain way, right? Uh, they're going to be cynical to an extent. Mm-hmm. But what if uh, I, I can gather statements, like I said, from neighbors, from colleagues, from people in the community? Uh, what if my client is keeping a diary? What if I do a video in my client's home and I interview on video uh, uh, several friends and colleagues and family members and I'm showing the insurance company, look, don't try to hold this argument that my client doesn't have this debilitating condition when you have all these other people Backing you up. Backing you up. What, you're going to have each one of them understand and you're going to expect your defense lawyer to undermine the credibility of all of these witnesses? You're going to say that all of them have something to gain? You're going to make it extremely difficult for the insurance company to hold that position. And why am I saying that? Because I was in that position. And when I was facing a lawyer who knew what they were doing, just like the lawyer I had on mediation this last week, Mm -hmm. who was, was an exceptional defense lawyer, you know, you have to be on your toes and you have to really bring out all the guns. And you know what? They will respect you for it. And then they will go back to their client, the insurance company, the adjuster, and they'll tell them, you have to pay. Wow. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. And email is help at the insurance lawyer.say. We'll get to an email uh, right after the other side of the break on the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640. Yeah, 12.43 on your Sunday. Still some time to get a hold of us here. And I'll give you another way you can get a hold of us. That is myaccidentquestions.com. In fact, we just got one during the break. Uh, I'll give it to you right now. Sure. So you haven't read this yet. It's from uh, Allison here in Toronto. It says, if you have a car accident while driving a corporate vehicle, is it better to sue through a lawyer or is it better to go through WSIB? 
Okay, so Allison, let me answer that question. Uh, first of all, whenever you're dealing with a, uh, a car accident situation, uh, actually not just a car accident, any type of injury, and you have the option of going through WSIB or making a claim against right. whoever was at fault for the accident, my preference is always to make that claim. And there are two very simple reasons. Number one, WSAB is, in my experience, hell to deal with. It's a closed system. So imagine if you're listening uh, to the employment hour with Lior, you know how he talks about unionized employees and yeah. how he can help them? Very similar in WSAB context. You need a specialized lawyer or paralegal that deals with WSAB. Good luck on finding one. Uh, I've certainly referred people to, to individuals who deal with WSAB, but the responses I got back was that you know it was just a hellish uh, experience. Really? Wow. And, and really, when, when you go outside of WSB, when you're able to make the election and make a claim outside of workers' comp, uh, oftentimes you're going to be able to recover for your pain and suffering, for your past income losses, for your future income losses, for rehabilitation, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're able to make that election, make that election. That's my advice. Uh, I, I haven't deviated uh, from that advice in 10 years, and uh, right. I will tell everyone out there. Uh, by the way, not, it, it's not always the case that when you're injured while you're working uh, that you have to go through workers' comp. No? No. And, and, you know, it's interesting. Not a lot of lawyers are aware of this as well. Forget about the regular population. Uh, if you are injured in the course of your employment, then technically you should be able to apply for workers' comp mm -hmm. for your injury. But... If the injury was caused, if the accident was caused by someone outside of your workplace, somebody who themselves were not working at the time. Like you didn't jam your finger in a machine. It was someone came and You got you it. Out. Exactly. In fact, I have a case right now with a gentleman who was delivering some uh, metal skids to, a, to a, a certain place. So he was working at the time, uh, but he, he wasn't working for company registers with workers' comp. Okay. And uh, there was a guy who worked in the vicinity there who ran over his foot with a forklift and crushed his foot. Uh, well, in that case, my client uh, had uh, the option uh, to file a claim, and we filed that claim, and, and uh, the case will be resolved uh, f fairly soon. Cool. But, but that's, the, you know, my advice is if you're dealing with workers' comp versus making a claim uh, and dealing with an insurance company, not WSAB, you go for the latter. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is the email I mentioned. We'll get to one from Jane up in Collingwood. Says, I've been on long-term disability for a year now. Just recently, my doctor prescribed me various medications for my pain, but they are all making me feel sicker. My insurance adjuster says that I'm not trying to get better because I'm not taking them and is threatening to stop payments. What can I do? And I'm really stressed over it. That, that is absolutely insane. Jane, I, I, I feel for you. I, I know somebody who's very close to me uh, who, who has gone through something very similar. For the adjuster uh, to have the gall to say that just because you're not taking medications which are making you sicker, that means that you are not trying to get better, that is absolutely insane. It would never hold up. You're dealing clearly with someone uh, who is either too stupid to understand that those medications are in fact making you sicker or somebody who understands that but just doesn't care. Doesn't care. Right. Has absolutely no empathy. And here's the thing, John. There's a lot of adjusters out there. A lot of adjusters out there, and I know some of them very personally for, for many years, who are very empathetic. You know, this is not all uh, the situation that insurance companies, uh, that adjusters are out there to screw people. It, that's not the case, okay? They have a job to do. Some of them do it better than others, just like with lawyers, just like with doctors, just like with everyone mm -hmm. else. So, Jane, in your situation, no. Uh, they will not be able to cut you off. If they cut you off, uh, they will be making a very big mistake. Uh, give me a call. I, I, I can resolve it. In fact, I could probably prevent them from cutting you off. And if they do cut you off, 
the way that we uh, uh, present the cutoff uh, will potentially be um, will allow you not only to claim the pay that you are entitled to, mm-hmm. but potentially uh, allow us to claim bad faith damages, punitive damages against the insurance company. Can that be significant? It can be significant, yes. In Canada, it's not as significant as in the United States. Of course. And, and the bar is much higher to be able to get punitive damages. But insurance companies have been paying. They have been paying because the courts recognize that oftentimes insurance companies, uh, just despite all the advice that they get from external experts, despite common sense, they do something that really hurts an individual. And that happens, unfortunately, much more often than not. You get a lot of people calling you where it's their family members or friends kind of coax them and convince them to call you. Why don't they just do it automatically? That's an excellent question. In fact, you know, most people that call me, uh, it's because somebody told them. So for everyone right. right now who's listening, if you know someone who is in that situation, talk to that person, okay? Have them call me, have them contact me. Uh, in fact, you know, a lot of times I get people who call me uh, on behalf of someone right. else. So they haven't been able to actually convince the person to call me. For whatever reason, people sometimes are just too focused on their injuries, on their disability. They just can't take the time of day. They don't understand that they may need that help, that perhaps we can help them. Uh, I've had many situations where, especially in disability-type claims, long-term disability, when I've come on the scene, remember, John, I told you that after I have that initial conversation with the person who is disabled, the biggest thing they take out of that conversation the biggest thing that gives them, uh, you know, the most, um, uh, how would we say it, like th- that gives them uh, the most peace of mind is the mm-hmm. fact that I'll be dealing with the adjuster instead of them. Yeah, done, they won't have done. to pick up the phone anymore. They won't have to, to answer an email from the adjuster or open that envelope that threatens them in any way. Right. That's a huge thing. So oftentimes it takes someone close to you, uh, a family member, a good friend, someone uh, to just help you go beyond that step to just contact us. And, and you know, never has there been a situation uh, that I can remember where, where someone comes back and says, you know, I'm really sorry I referred that person to you because that yeah. person is now doing worse. It doesn't happen. We'll talk to a little more about that and that topic as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You got help at the insurancelawyer.ca for email. And 416-216-5910 is Savannah's direct number outside of show hours. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. Before the break, we were talking about uh, friends and family members, you know, taking the step and getting a hold of you on behalf of someone who uh, who needs your help. Now, once that's once the contact has been made and someone's involved with you, can the family members also be involved in the process or is it confidentiality? No, they can. They, okay. Confidentiality is obviously there. I mean, it's something that we value very highly and, and we have to as lawyers. Uh, but by all means, I, I have uh, disability claims, injury claims, a lot of these kinds of claims where uh, the father or the mother or the sister or the brother or the friend is involved, whether it's for emotional support, whether it's because the person is having a bad day and they need to call. Mm-hmm. As long as my client clears it with me, uh, then my team and I can communicate with them. That's not a problem. And they can go on with, uh, you know, Dealing directly and dealing with yes. other things on the case. Absolutely. Like a liaison, in other words. Like a li- absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of times when you're dealing as well with incapacitated people, or if you have uh, um, a, a, a child, for example, you're going to be dealing with a litigation guardian. So you're going to have to deal with someone else other than your actual client. No, it's not an issue as long as everything is done properly and it's on the books. A couple of days from now, kids are going back to school. Parents are going to be walking their kids down sidewalks, up and down all over the city. There's going to be some people that are going to stub a toe, trip, maybe go down, bang a knee on the way down, trip right. and falls on even pavement on city streets or sidewalks. What are they supposed to do? What should they do? 
Well, the first thing they should do, obviously, is get medical help. I mean, if you're injured, it doesn't matter in what context, you're going to get medical help, uh, not just for the legal case so that there is a Mm -hmm. paper trail that you went to the doctor, but just to get checked out. Oftentimes, I see injuries that go undiagnosed only to be diagnosed months and months later through an MRI that, you know, you tore something and you missed all these uh, months of rehab that you should have uh, done. Uh, but, but, you know, it's very, very important uh, to make sure that the occupier, so if, if you're in a mall, for example, that the mall uh, security or management, that they're aware that this is what happened, that there is an incident report. If there's someone that's with you, uh, make sure that you get a statement from that person, uh, whether it's your husband, your wife, whoever, make sure that they just write down uh, shortly after what happened. If you're able to take photographs of what caused you to trip and fall or slip and fall, do that. Yeah, if everybody's you got a phone now, right? Everyone has a phone. You can do a video. You can do a photo. 